Hi everyone, it's Tim Arden, and welcome to this edition of Along the Forest Steps Road. I want to thank you all for dropping by, uh, going through a little bit about wedges and bore cuts, and I've got some uh, guests on this particular podcast. Uh, the first one will be Warren Causey, and he'll explain a little bit about who he is, Chris Childs with the God's Pit Crew, and uh, Robert Albritton dropped by for just a minute or two, and uh, we talked about some different things of wedge I had an interesting conversation with Warren. Uh, he's an engineer and, and more or less had put together some thoughts that he had on uh, wedge lift and fulcrum use and that kind of thing. So I hope you enjoy it. Warren is a certified arborist and he heads up a uh, disaster group uh, sirens project. And so he's going to be joining us talking about some wedge lifts. And then also, uh, and uh, I may even have Robert Albritton dropping by tonight. Was, but anyway, we've uh, we've got some interesting thoughts and and processes to kind of kind of go through. If you have any any questions or anything, I do have uh, chat lines opened up. But uh, as we go through the evening here, we've got. We've got quite a lot to to talk about. We've got um, a couple of workshops coming up. I've got uh, April the 2nd through the 4th. We're going to be in Kingston, Georgia, outside of Rome, Georgia. We have a storm sawing workshop that will be kicking off as a three-day program. And uh, it's a small group, about uh, 12, usually in that class and a workshop. And and we've got, uh, I think, uh, four signed up already. But if you're interested in that, you can find out more information at info at forestapps.com. And um, there's outlines and all on that. Maybe David will want to talk a little bit about that. He's going to be helping me on that one. And uh, also we have our legacy program. I've got uh, six signed up for that. And uh, so uh, that's going to be a um, uh, deadline on that. Registration is January the 10th. We'll be starting up our, our first session on uh, uh, January the, the 23rd on that one. And so that's uh, the legacy program is for... Um, not new people to chainsaws, but people who have been running chainsaws that are interested in passing along to their employees or to uh, uh, different groups, such as disaster groups, volunteer groups, those kinds of things. Um, a lot of municipality, corporate type work. So uh, all of that is, uh, we got through 12 weeks of about hour and a half sessions on Tuesday nights. Uh, on online, and then we'll be meeting for uh, some hands-on training also in the, after that. But that's uh, a session that uh, we had for 2023 kicked off. It did very well, and, and we had about eight involved last year. And this year, planning on uh, about 12 or so in the class. So looking forward to that. There he is, the Sirens Project. See if I have some some volume here. Hey, Warren. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Uh, well, my name is Warren, uh, Warren Causey. I'm live in Woodstock, Georgia, and I started along with my wife started the uh, nonprofit Sirens Project in 2020. Um, my roots are in uh, mechanical engineering and a little bit of storm chasing. I've uh, been chasing tornadoes since 2011, and uh, well, fell in love with tree work. Uh, so, Warren, what the, you you had sent me a a message talking about your your lift that you were you were working on. Explain to us what you were talking about there. It has to do with wedging. What he what he's got. You know, for years we've talked about segments uh, on the tree. He's got a a calculation. Being an engineer, he's he's got <laughs> some uh, backbone put to it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, it, you know, it kind of has the same, uh, I guess, mathematical process as the, as the segments, you know, we achieved the, the same goal, um, anyways, but it's kind of an adaptation of the formula that I saw in uh, to fell a tree by Jeff Jepson. And I think, I think you guys, uh, are friends. At least I saw your name in the acknowledgments <laughs> yeah, yeah. of that book. Um, really interesting read. Um, and so basically I, you know, being an engineer, I, I have, um, um, some computer aided design software called SolidWorks that I do all my 3d modeling and stuff with, and I'm trying to adapt, uh, how to use CAD software into, um, into tree work, you know, how can we solve rigging problems, um, and different types of, uh, scenarios that we find in the field, um, using the software and to kind of put, an engineering mindset to, um, um, to those types of situations. And, um, you know, I just, um, wanted to kind of go back to the, the basics on, uh, calculating, you know, the hinge, uh, length as well as the, what I call the fulcrum dis, uh, distance, which is the front, you know, front of the hinge to the back of the, uh, to the back of the tree. Um, where you would insert the wedge and, uh, you know, it all comes kind of back to geometry and, uh, using, um, a circle cord formula, basically a two, you know, two lines, uh, or two points on a circle that are intersected by a line somewhere along the radius. And, uh, yes, it was really interesting to kind of go back through and, and, um, you know, using the 80% rule kind of calculate how much displacement or crown movement you can get uh, based on, you know, tree height, tree diameter and wedge height. And uh, what I, what I found, and I'm sure this is, uh, you know, this, this is kind of par for the course here. A lot of the guys um, over the years using um, the 80% rule for a good reason. And uh, I, I calculated uh, using different, you know, measurements as far as you have 80% of the diameter being the hinge length versus, you know, 82% or 90% or 75%. And every time you use the 80% rule, um, the hinge length equals the fulcrum distance. And, uh, so knowing the fulcrum distance, uh, allows you to calculate the, uh, face notch depth, um, and kind of set your, your cuts up in your mind before even making a cut on the tree and kind of verify the process is going to work um, before even, even making your first cut. And so it was, it was really, uh, really just a uh, proof of concept to, to kind of back up the, the 80% rule. And uh, also I was curious, you know, could you, 
kind of section out your cuts on the tree before even firing up the saw. And uh, I think you can make a pretty good case that you can, you can figure that out just using math ahead of time. So really interesting. Yeah. Well, we've, we've kind of had a rule of thumb uh, that we've used in our, uh, we started off Soren Erickson always utilized uh, segments, we called it. Mm. And uh, that would be the, your, your basic segment would be from the front of the hinge to wherever you place the wedge. So if you had a, a, a one foot tree, then, then basically, you know, 12 inches from that front of the hinge to the actual placement of the wedge, that would be a one segment tree. If you had 80 foot tall tree, you've got 80 segments. So theoretically one inch lift in the rear would give you 80 inches in the top. Yeah. Everybody always talks about, you know, well, you've got a fudge factor there. You've got uh, compression factors and all that. And that that was, uh, you know, what I wanted to ask you about is, is uh, how you were kind of calculating that. Um, it's not, to me, in reality, it's not that important because it, it unless you just got a real punky tree, you know, in a wet area or something like that, the that compression makes very, very little difference. But if you... Uh, if you do try to be accurate with it, you also have the position of the center of the crown and, and being able to take that and, and be accurate with that. But it was amazing the the formulas that, that you had there. And, and a lot of people work that way. You know, you, you, you're able to take and, and put in a couple calculations. And what I see to be the, the biggest issue is, is going back to the planning process. In other words, you've got to be able to calculate your liens correctly to be able to do that. Side lean plays an effect on it some, you know, because of the, the pressure on the hinges. But the biggest thing is you've got to bring the center weight of that canopy wherever it's positioned in the tree, past or forward of that hinge material, for it to be able to fall under its own weight. And so it is, like you say, it's very easy to, to calculate how much lift you need to get it to that point somewhat. But then you've got other factors. You've got wind and you've got softer fibers and and this kind of thing. But but it's 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 so cool to be able to look at it and then look at what you were talking about with your calculations. It's the same thing we do, except we use kind of a, just a rule of thumb of it. And you were very accurate with it. I, I was, I checked out a couple, you know, using that, it, it, you're very accurate with it. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. And you know, uh, math and, and, and physics, uh, engineering mechanics, um, all of that have a lot uh, in common as far as there are some exceptions to the rule, you know, math, math usually is a, perfect scenario you know a lot of times we talk about a frictionless environment or we we take a friction out of the equation or we make certain assumptions about about things and uh like you said there there are a lot of factors that go into real world scenarios mm -hmm. you know a lot of things that the math you know you, you can't solve on paper a lot a lot of stuff would have to uh have to you know we'd have to use uh finite element analysis or some kind of computational rendering of what the what the real world situation is like which is not you know not practical in the field just because of the uh time consumption and computing power but um i yeah i think i think you're spot on with you know you can get a very good idea um using the math and i thought it was really really satisfying um, that the uh, 80% rule 
you know, that 80%, that, that magic of that number is the, the hinge length equals the fulcrum distance every single time. And I thought that was really unique about that, that specific, that specific number. And kind of, you know, I haven't seen any literature on, you know, maybe, maybe that is the reason why um, the 80% rule is kind of the rule of thumb. Um, you know, it's easy to, easy to calculate as long as you know the diameter, you can calculate the hinge length and immediately know what the fulcrum distance is without having to run any other type of calculation. So I don't know if that's coincidence and, you know, I'm sure you know more. Um, maybe that's, that's the whole point behind it. Well, there's some, there's some consistency to it being a perfectly round tree, but you know, all yeah. <laughs> round, but the, the concept there is that 80% gives you a length of hinge to support the side weight. That's that's really what we look at there is the the width of the hands, the thickness of it keeps it attached during the fall. That's 10 percent of the diameter. Usually we use DBH, diameter breast height, just just to have straight fiber that you're dealing with. So if you had a, a 20 inch stump on a, a cypress tree or something, it was eight inches at the top. If you if you try to put, you know, a, a two inch hinge, on, it's not even going to fall. You know, it's too thick. <laughs> You're going to get splitting, so so the ten percent is a is a maximum, but the eighty percent is a minimum. So you you seek, you know, I explain it sometimes. If you went to the hardware store to get a a, a you know a hinge for a, a twenty inch tree, you would get one that's two inches thick and sixteen inches long. Mm. And so you take that hinge then, and you would you would cut a face notch to the point to where you've got that sixteen inches. And that we consider to be a minimum, though, because as long as you got no side lean, it's not that big a deal. But if you've got four feet or five feet of side lean, then the length of the hinge makes a big difference in in uh, being able to control that side weight from breaking off. And the the farther you go in, you know, with your hinge on that particular tree, the quicker your wedge will lift, but the more pressure it takes to lift it. So, and, and, you know, people talk about the, the farther in makes it easier to pull with a rope and stuff. And it does because of the mechanical advantage you're pulling high in the tree. Mm -hmm. When you're lifting from a wedge, you don't have that much uh, mechanical advantage, um, but you do have the ability to lift that weight point past the fulcrum. So the only thing you got to watch out for too, is the farther you go in with that hinge, the more apt it is to break off and go backwards because the farther you are forward, the more support you have against back lean. And so, you know, if it, if it sits down three eighths of an inch, you might lose two feet in the top, but as long as that hinge holds, it's not going backwards with it, you know? Yeah. But uh, I've got, I've got a, uh, I don't know if you watched the video that, that I did, uh, I've had it for for quite a while, but I wanted to, I wanted to play this, and um, and I want you to kind of help discuss this a little bit about the. It's just real short. It's about the the taper of the of the hinge, and uh, let's see. I'm gonna put this up. Let's see. This is it. You see, you know, most people try to stack the wedges on top of each other.
Could you see that? I did. All right. So the the first thing there is is as most everybody did, and we did too. Um, and you know, there's rifled wedges. There's uh, different wedges with cleats. Uh, you've got uh, uh, smooth wedges. You've got uh, kind of wood grain type wedges. All of that is to to hopefully keep it from slipping out. Uh, all the years and years ago, even back into the the crosscut days, you had guys who would take and say, "Well, they put sawdust in between the two wedges to keep them from kicking out." A lot of people would get a splitting wedge trying to jack a tree over, and it just didn't work too well, you know, because they had hit it and it didn't go anywhere. And a lot of that was because of the, the taper of the wedge. And so when you stack two on top of each other, too, unless you, you've got something in between there, when you hit one, the other tries to back out. And then especially if you don't have much weight on the tree, uh, it, it pops out very, very quickly. So... If we look, though, when you start to think about crossing the wedges sideways, you have a flat lifting surface and you have also less um, resistance against the two that that tends to take and make it easier to drive them in. Uh, you can't do it on a real small tree, but you get about 14 inches and bigger. It, it makes it possible to be able to do that. And so it works works pretty good. So how would how would you calculate for that taper of the wedge and its liftability? Yeah, it's actually uh, kind of funny you mentioned that because uh, I was I was doing that today a little bit, um, and so you know basically when we look at the mechanical advantage of a wedge, we're looking at the length over over the height, and uh, you know typically a wedge being one inch tall. Well, let's take a let's take a twelve inch long felling wedge that's an inch high. We have a me mechanical advantage of, uh, of 12 to one. And that, that is the mechanical advantage of the output force versus the input force. So whatever input force we put in, uh, by striking it with a hammer, that will be multiplied by, by 12 in an ideal situation. Now there's a lot of, you know, friction comes into play and you, there's some loss of efficiency, um, outside of ideal uh, mechanical advantage. And uh, first I you know I had to look at, okay, what uh, what what kind of forces are the or, you know are the wedges experiencing when you when you strike it with a hammer? And that becomes kind of a an impulse uh, question, an impulse problem. So we're looking at um, the momentum, uh, the initial momentum versus the final momentum of the hammer strike. And, uh, you know, I kind of looked at the, uh, the steel splitting ball, for example, uh, that has a 6.6-pound 6 .6, uh, head to it. And if you were to swing that at around 35 miles an hour, just to put it in perspective, a Major League Baseball player can swing a bat, you know, 80 to 85 miles an hour. And so that's really, you know, that's really getting it um, with that bat. And so if we're, if we're kind of more on the conservative side, of around 35 miles an hour um and we assume and this is a pretty typical impulse um uh coefficient here is is you have to look at how how long what what's the instance of time that the force is being delivered to the wedge so you're kind of calculating um 
deceleration. Um, it's not the technical term you would use. Um, it, you know, it's acceleration, but it's acceleration in, in, in the opposite direction, basically. So you're coming to a stop. And so how long does it take for the hammer to come to a stop or the, or the axe or the splitting mall to come to a stop? And, you know, we kind of use one millisecond or, or 0.008 seconds as kind of like a standard, um, kind of a, a standard coefficient. And so if you plug in the fact that the bat or the, uh, sorry, the bat, the axe is being swung at 35 miles an hour, um, it weighs six and a half pounds, let's say, and the um, delivery of force is at just under one millisecond, um, that the end of that wedge, the strike base of that wedge is experiencing right at 1300 pounds. And so that's the initial effort that is being exerted onto, onto the wedge. And so, you know, you multiply that by 12 and, you know, in theory, you're over 12,000 pounds of, of force being exerted into, into the tree, um, to be able to lift it. And then at that point, once you know, um, once you got to have an idea of how much force you're applying, it really becomes a, uh, kind of a, a lever problem at that point. So you have, um, a, a lever that is at one end has a hinge that, you know, that can, that can act as a fulcrum. And that would be, you know, the curve of the, of the, of the saw, your wedge is being inserted into the curve of the saw. And so you're, you're acting upon that lever to, uh, to lift the tree. And, uh, you know, there's a pretty simple uh, calculation for that. The, the, you can calculate the force required to lift a tree of a certain weight. Um, you know, if you're looking at your, uh, log tables, um, you know, I know, uh, was it Bartlett? I think tree, uh, th those guys have like a pretty good, like little log table on how much certain species weigh, um, volumetrically. Um, and so really all you have to know is the, uh, the center point of that weight, which we just assume is, um, center of the, uh, center of the fulcrum distance. And, uh, so you have to know that. And then you also have to know the, uh, distance from the fulcrum to where the, uh, the lift is being applied by the wedge, which we assume, you know, when you drive a wedge in flush with a back of the, uh, of the tree that you're lifting that lever from the very end of, uh, you know, of the very end of that distance. And so I had a little example here. Um, I kind of, I kind of wrote this problem, you know, what is the maximum force required to lift an 80 foot tall white oak tree with a 28 inch DBH, um, about the hinge using the 80% rule. Um, and so you look at, you know, you have to have, know what the fulcrum distance is, which is calculated by the 80% rule right off the bat. Um, and then you have to know the weight of the tree and um, the distance at which you will be acting upon that lever, which is the diameter of the tree. Um, and so taking that into account, um, we'll say the white oak tree, that's about 80 feet tall. This is, you know, you have to, taking a cow canopy, you know, and, and moisture content. And, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it. Um, but using those log tables, we'll say the white oak weighs 21,200 pounds at 28 inch DBH, 80 feet tall. And so with the 80% rule, the fulcrum distance 
is 22.4 inches. So, you know, the, using the, uh, the formulas in my, in my blog, the, uh, you know, the hinge length will equal the fulcrum distance using the, uh, the 80% rule. And so when you work out this formula, um, which is force required, um, to lift, lift the tree, that's the function of the weight of the tree, the, uh, length of the lever, the distance at which the tree is being lifted within that lever, which is the diameter. And then, um, also, uh, you have to multiply that by two. So you get a force required to lift the tree about the hinge, um, at 10,600 pounds. So you need, you know, roughly 10,600 pounds of lifting force to get the tree to move about its fulcrum. Um, and so, you know, back to driving the, uh, you know, that, that wedge in, if you're, if you're applying, you know, 1300 pounds of, of force initially into the wedge as a mechanical advantage of 12, um, then you're essentially applying 15,800 pounds of lifting force to the tree. So you're over that lifting, that minimum lifting force requirement by about 5,000 pounds or 5,800 pounds, really. So what you're saying is a wedge will work. It'll work. And the mouse says it will, yeah. <laughs> I always use the story that, uh, you know, the, the Egyptians actually, I was reading this thing, the Egyptians actually put the pyramids in place with wooden wedges and rollers because they found them in the crypts, you know. And uh, I was <laughs> telling that story up in the uh, Philadelphia area, and this guy said, you know, I was just reading an article about that too. And I, I said, well, did they talk about that? And he said, no, they said aliens did it. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I found out real quick that I guess it's possible. I don't know, but it's, it's something to where uh, uh, they would take those uh, wooden wedges and jack the rocks up a little bit, put a roller under it, a, a log under it is nice and smooth. And then they had 6,000 people that pushed it up a ramp to put it in the right spot. <laughs> uh, if you got a big enough hammer, you can do it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's true. Yeah. I, and, you know, sorry, sorry for the long winded uh, example there, but yeah, that's uh you know, that's... You know we, on our on our uh, my cross side, I have a, a quick calculation that just takes the the height of the tree into the base, you know, and and it gives you the amount of lift. It's just a rule of thumb, but but it, it's amazing how it works, you it know. And, and but when you, you if you've got something that's uh, you know pretty critical, it's nice to be able to put a little more detail to it. And that's <laughs> what I liked about your your presentation. Now, if you look, uh, Robert Robert Aubrey, and I don't know if you ever met him or not. Most people know him as a, as a claw man now, but he he used to be uh, he used to be uh, yeah Jambo yeah Jambo, Jambo yeah yeah that's it isn't it Jambo man. But now he's the claw. But anyway, uh, Robert he he handles that pretty good. He's got all kinds of wedges, but he 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 he's got a big bobcat too. <laughs> if you can't wedge it, I guess you pull it. <laughs> yeah, Robert. Robert is a he's a, he's got a nice uh, nice business around uh, metropolitan Atlanta, and he's been working with with trees since I guess this is thirty years, thirty one years coming up. Wow. Well, February will be thirty four years. Thirty four. Oh, you keep adding years to it. You you keep. I, mine hasn't changed. I, we started at the same time. Just about. Just well, about. all right. Well, he, 
Yeah, he, he he figured out a long time ago after a big storm hit that it, it took some equipment. So he went and got that and started doing tree work. But he and uh, I didn't even know who he was. But he we one of our uh, Arbor Master Arbor Game sessions uh, he showed up at. And I didn't know where he's from or anything. I was I was keeping up with all the addresses and contacts and all that kinds of stuff. But I didn't recognize he was he was close to home. And uh, we were Christmas shopping that year and and found him at Walmart. So and uh, been best friend ever since. But anyway, and then we got Chris Childs. Chris is uh, he? Uh, gosh, it's been probably six or eight years ago at least. He started uh, one of my my storm sawing workshops, I think. And we've been good friends since. And he's he's helping out some with the with training. And he he heads up the. Uh, the chainsaw section of uh, God's pit crew. So he's, he's out and about all over the place. Yeah. I just ran into him in Clarksville. About yeah. Right, right before Christmas. It was good to see him. Yeah. If you hang around many places very long, you'll run into him. That's for sure. <laughs> he, he puts on a lot of miles, but uh, he did a, he did a video the other day on uh on the use of bore cut. And I was going to ask you too, Warren, how, how, uh, if you've ever used that and, and, uh, Chris has become kind of a user when it comes to, uh, when you start thinking about back leans and, and wedges that gives you the ability to, to get the tree in, I mean, get the wedges in a lot smaller tree. And then also with larger trees being able to, uh, to take half and half or or three-way cuts through the face notch and and uh, place your wedges so you don't lose any kind of back pressure or not back pressure but back movement of the tree because mm -hmm. when you when you lose a little bit at the top it takes more to lift it right it does. that that fulcrum length there so <laughs> but uh chris is Chris has uh, had to use it in a lot of different things, but he he's got some big equipment too. Though he, he kind of cheats, he, <laughs> he likes that kinds of stuff. But uh, explain to us a little bit, Chris, about what you were doing with the with the bore cut and leaners. I played the video for him last week, and you got tied up in the meeting. But I think he's uh, muted still. Muted? I think you are muted. Can you unmute? Yeah, I can. There you are. <laughs> I'm so, right here. So I guess you heard me anyway, though. I just couldn't hear yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, I heard you. Um, you want me to talk about the bore cut? Yeah, I showed the video last week, and you got tied up. I wanted you to kind of explain what you what you went through there. Yeah, I mean, on a forward leaner, which we run into all the time, uh, especially in disasters, um, you know, I see so many people barber chair. I see, um, and I mean, at that point, you don't know where the tree is going to go. So I really love the uh, the open face notch and the bore cut in a heavy forward leaning situation. And then, as Warren knows, being on the on the uh, field there in disasters. You got people running around like crazy. And when you're just doing a standard cut, your adrenaline's pumping. You're trying to figure out when the tree's going to go, all of that stuff. But when you have control and you've got that back strap or your trigger, you can slow down, make sure everybody's clear, and zip that thing off, and you don't have any issues, no barber chairing. 
um, it, it works really well. And so you've got kind of a, a timed release there. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, a timed release. Volunteers are volunteers at the end of the day. You're working with people that aren't professional uh, in, in the tree industry. You've also, especially in a metropolitan area like that, there's just random people there that are trying to help their neighbors, and everybody's walking around. You have so much control when you've, when you've got that back strap. You know, I, I got spotters looking – coast is clear you know it uh, it, it works really well and uh you use it on back leaners too i assume oh yeah yeah definitely um did one today uh, here in town it was a big white oak had about six foot of back lean massive tree uh same situation open face notch bore cut drive my wedges in and uh you know i had to drive them a fair amount to get that tree to come over but I had full control. Mm -hmm. But that was one other thing too. Um, that's neat with with Warren's calculations is if you if you kind of get a picture of that in your head of how that works, you think about if you've got that tree and you've got your wedge farthest to the back, you've got maximum lifting power, right? Right. Close, closer, it takes more power to lift. It'll move faster, but it takes more power to lift. The farther you are back the the more power you have to lift. So as you start to lift the tree, if you think about those calculations, let's say we're we're uh you know 16 inches back, once we start to get the tree to lift, we can move a wedge closer to the fulcrum. Mm -hmm. And so now all of a sudden you go from 16 inch segment to eight inch segment, you know, and so you you start you start thinking about then you can you can jacks you can jack some pretty good trees as long as you got oh, yeah. enough space and be able to work them around. And I yeah. you can drive three wedges in and be able to get a nice smooth lift going. And with, you don't have to beat so hard on the wedges either. So that's another thing, looking at how that pressure comes onto the wedge. If you put three in there, it's actually separated. So you load one, and then you load the next one. That one becomes looser. And then, uh, looser is that a word? And then you go to the other one, and 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 so you're you're able to lift in in succession. So you start you start thinking about um, you know how you can be able to get that that lift going, and uh, it helps to be able to use that that trigger or or uh, you know release in the back to be able to hold whether it's forward or back. It gives you the ability to get your wedge in tight, and and so you don't lose any any back movement whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And he said, conservatively, we may swing thirty five with more weight, and so that'd be a larger hammer. Mm -hmm. That's correct. So if I only swing forty, or well, what if the minimum force required to lift that tree? What is, I guess it's what is the minimum force required to lift that tree? Yeah, there's uh um with the and I'll probably write a another post uh going into a little bit more detail on this. It kind of goes back to the uh the you know the tree being being a lever, like you're dealing with a lever. Um you can calculate beforehand based on you know the diameter um and the, the fulcrum distance and the weight of the tree, how what 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 is the minimum force required to lift that tree to you know to begin to lift that tree over center and once you have that minimum 
force required, you can then begin to look at uh, your availability of strength um, to put, you know, an effort into the into the wedge and also uh, choosing your wedge um, based on its mechanical advantage. If you have the room for, you know, a longer wedge, obviously it has more mechanical advantage um, than, than a shorter one um, as far as length goes. And so that's when you can start kind of picking your plan apart. You're like, okay, I, I know I need, you know, 10,000 pounds of lifting force, um, swinging. My, I think my example here uh, was swinging at 35 miles an hour with a heavier hammer actually achieves more input force than swinging the daylights out of a, you know, out of a hammer with, with a light head. Um, and so that, that's a good balance there is choosing, you know, maybe a, a slightly heavier hammer, um, or, you know, driving tool versus swinging harder. <laughs> um, so I, I found that over the years, we, we kind of, uh, kind of zeroed in on about a five pound wedge axe and that, that made a big difference. I've got a, I, I, I kind of got away from the axe because of, uh, uh, you know, sometimes occasional users in the classes, it gets a little bit, uh, a little scary sometimes. So I went to a, a six pound, you know, type of a sledgehammer mm -hmm. and uh, it, it definitely, the pound difference makes, makes a big difference. And I was noticing they had one up to 26 pounds. I thought about that, but then I couldn't, I couldn't swing that. I don't think so. <laughs> but uh, the six pound over the five makes a difference. But I see a lot of people trying to, uh, wedge the trees over, you know, got a three, three and a half pound or a junior ax. One thing you got to watch out with is short handles uh, makes you bend over closer to the wedge. If it does pop out, you, you, you can eat one very quickly. Mm -hmm. So the longer handle helps there too, but a lot of people don't like to carry a long handle through the woods or up around the trees, but, uh, uh, something in about a, a 20 to 36 inch handle makes a big difference in five, six pound head. So it, it does. And uh, he, he had asked about the, what is the 80% rule? And that's one thing I don't think on, uh, on Instagram, it doesn't, it doesn't keep the recording unless they record it themselves. And he said, what is the 80% rule? He missed that part. So uh, you're, you're saying that, that the, your calculation came out to the 80. We always used it by 80% of the diameter and length of the hinge. And that moves the depth into the tree according to the shape of the tree. But you're saying that the actual calculations of lift all come back to that 80% rule, right? Yeah, it makes it, a, it makes it a lot easier to calculate um, how, much, how much lift you need because you, you have to know, in order to know how much lift or uh, how much available lift you have, you, you have to know what the fulcrum distance is. And again, the fulcrum distance is the front of the hinge to the back of the tree. And using the 80% rule, if we're assuming the tree is decently round, <laughs> you know, um, it, it becomes very easy to calculate the uh, fulcrum distance. The uh, fulcrum distance is the length of the hinge using the 80% rule. So they're one and the same. Um, and that that kind of takes a lot of the a uh, lot of the guesswork out. If, if you don't use the eighty percent rule, in order to calculate the fulcrum distance before you even make a cut, you have to go back to um, some of the uh, geometry formulas on calculating the the chord of a circle. Um, you know, finding where that line on the circle lies in relation to the radius, and so you have to break out some 
some signs and cosines and all that good stuff, you know. Um, but as long as you adhere to the 80% rule, you already know what the fulcrum distance is because it equals the hinge length. Mm-hmm. Well, Chris, what what do you use kind of as a factor? What do you what do you look at? If you, if you go up like that tree today and you you see the diameter and the height and the weight of it, what what would make you uh, say I, I'm I'm going to go get the machine? Oh man, as far as in my opinion, if it's back lean, I can overcome back lean. I'm comfortable overcoming back lean. That tree was probably 30 inches in diameter. So I had a three foot, I had a three inch hinge on a, on a 30 inch diameter tree with five, six foot of back lean. I was completely comfortable. If it would have had say eight foot of side lean going towards someone's house, then then that's a different ball game in my opinion. That's when I either climb it or I bring a machine in to get rid of the weight from that side. But um if it's tall, then I've got a you know and I've and I've got a good place to put my wedges, I'm you know, you can overcome a ton of back lean. Mm-hmm. And one thing a lot of people don't realize is that uh, too thick of a hinge. A lot of times people want to leave too thick of a hinge and that creates resistance with your wedging or pulling. It creates splitting and a slit splitting and pulled fiber. So a lot of times I see people try to leave too much hinge and and the wedge doesn't work then. You know, yeah, and, I think and even that, that, doesn't work. That 10% rule is key. You know, I always go back to that, the 10%. I want my hinge to be 10%. I hear people say, well, I'll leave it a little bit thicker in this situation. I'll leave it a little bit thinner in that situation. Man, I stick to the 10%. It it works. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty easy to calculate, too. When you start going down, you're taking a guess. When you're yep. going up, you're taking a guess. Yeah, I don't like guessing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there, are, there is some technical study that went with that. Uh, the Swedish Forest Institute back years ago, Soren was always talking about this, where they, they took different fibers, which most of them were, you know, Scandinavian, uh, softer fibers and, and uh, very slow growth hardwoods. And and when you start to look at how, how fiber works, and, and some of the meat paper specialists explain this to us too, is that the, the fiber goes to about a, a 70 degree position, and that's where it's going to start to break. So as it starts from the thickness of the hinge and, and goes over, it starts pulling and breaking from the back. If it's too thick, it's going to start to separate. So you get barber chair, okay? But if you if you think about how the fiber starts to break, it, it'll completely break off between 70 and 90. And so that's that's it. If it's the if it's proper width, and so that's where that that ten percent kind of came into. And then the same thing kind of they came about with the length of it being that eighty percent is is that you could go into a hundred, but then you it, you increase the chances of it going backwards as well as going forward. You could you could go into the hundred in a case where you needed more support for side weight. And so on a forward leaning tree, that's great. It gives you more side side protection, you know, as far as the, the side lean, the longer the hinge, like a door hinge, uh, piano hinge all the way down the door it will help hold a bigger door, a heavier door than two small hinges, you know, or one small hinge in the middle. So you, you start you start thinking about that that hinge length supports the side weight. And so they, they came about with that 80% uh, as far as that goes uh, to be able to, to maintain the side weight of the tree. 
And one other thing that that I always try to point out too is a lot of people uh, they have trouble uh, wedging and hinging um, with with back cuts. You want to try to keep things as level to the apex of the face notch as possible. If you use less than a seventy degree opening, that's when you're going to end up. At, at halfway to the earth, your hinge is going to break off. But with the open face, you mentioned about the open face, that's that's written up at 70 degrees or more. It can go 100 degrees, 110 degrees. You can do that with a Humboldt. You can do it with a, uh, you know, a wider common notch, as people call it, but we call it the open face. And so basically 70 degrees or more that that enables that tree to move all the way till that that fiber break point point before the hinge is stressed. If you if you stress the hinge before that and it breaks and you're not to that 70 degree position, it also increases the chances of butt rebound. And so that's something that you have to watch out for in any time you're cutting trees or limbs is uh is that it can come back towards the operator. So uh, you want to you want to think about that that hinge thickness stays attached during that falling process, and so forward leaning tree not a big deal as long as as long as uh, you know there. But if you start to get side lean, it starts to affect it. And if you have back lean, if you have back lean with too thin of a hinge, what's going to happen? If you're back here at at say 25 degrees back, and you've got a 45 degree notch. How far is it going to be at straight up and down? You're almost right. there. <laughs> if you go over just a little bit farther, maybe 30 degrees, and now you've got you've got your hinge is going to break because your face notch is going to close. And also people don't think about the Dutchman or bypass, we call it, in the face notch. It creates stress on the hinge. So in a wedging situation, that that creates a lot of of uh uh, I guess you'd say uh, miscalculations because it's going to pop off. It's going to go where it wants to go. If you can get it falling into the face notch, it's going to pretty much go there. But if you've got side weight or you've got twist or something, the limb touches in the crown, now you've got a situation you're going to lose control somewhat, whether it's just a fence line or whether it's a house, you know. <laughs> and so you gotta you gotta make sure that 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 hinge, whether it's on a tree or a limb, you you should have a specific. Uh, you know, plan to be able to to have that that limb or tree go to where you want it to go. And once you use those calculations of the lift, and you use the calculations of the leans, and uh, you know you you can you can be very accurate with it time after time after time. Then all you have to do is really concentrate on the hazards. Most people concentrate on the hazards before they have the plan, and then it creates a real havoc. <laughs> but if you have the plan down, then you can concentrate on the hazards and be able to keep yourself safe and, and usually be able to uh, to uh, get the results that you're that you're after. That's awesome. Yeah, I uh, have been trying to work a little bit uh, in my spare time, which is not very much, um, trying to put together a little rigging and felling cheat sheet. Um, and, and Chris, you might you might. Uh, you know, take a liking to this, this idea of having a uh, kind of, when you look at a situation like a tree on a house or something like that, being able to quickly analyze the situation and use a couple of formulas to assess how much, um, you know, lift or force is required on the rope to, to lift a tree from a certain estimated 
angle, um, you know, based on the weight and, and all that, all that stuff. Is it still attached to the root ball? Is it not attached to the root ball? Are you planning on lifting it completely in its weight entirety or leaving one end of it on the ground? Cause in that case, you really only have to apply, um, half of the weight, uh, of, of the equivalent of the weight of the tree and, and a pulling force, uh, to be able to lift it. And the closer you get to 90, the less weight you have to, or the less force you actually have to have, um, to manipulate the tree. And, uh, just little stuff like that, uh, you know, deflection angles for pulleys, uh, to making sure, you know, your, uh, your anchor points and stuff are, you know, are, are okay as far as them exhibiting, um, a certain amount of force during a rigging operation stuff like that. Just, just a little something to, uh, to be able to kind of go, go through and be like, okay, yeah, this, this checks out, you know, we, we should be okay. <laughs> kind of thing. Well, there's, there has to be, um, you know, in any type of equipment, you've got to have some testing, and that goes usually with the designee. But then when you, you start applying that piece of equipment, whether it's a pulley or a rope or whatever, to the to the actual task, that, that's where the operator has to understand what the limitations are. And so that's that's where it, uh, you know, adds up for maintaining the safety and, and being productive with the tool. That's like chainsaws. I mean, you know, it, there's a lot of different ways to cut stuff. And there's a lot of different size saws, but but uh, picking the right one for the right task and making sure it's maintained properly and that it all it all goes together to be productive and safe with it. So pretty cool. I don't I don't see. Uh, He's got to. He's got to come on to uh, Zoom. Yeah, I don't. I don't see the live stream on YouTube, but it could be on my end. I was just checking to see if. I think it. Yeah. I think it dropped. Gotta love technology sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm. I'm getting better at it, but. Yeah. <laughs> I've been I've been enjoying these uh these Thursday Thursday night you know saw talks and stuff. It's uh it's been good. I like to kind of wind down my week with joining you guys and just uh, listening to what everybody has to say because I'm uh still learning a lot, you know. And I just I love the industry and it's great to be surrounded by people who uh who have the same kind of passion, you know, for for safety and as well as uh efficiently and uh, you know and um you know, just doing smart things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm hoping that we can get a, a panel going every Thursday night and, and have some different topics and things. And um, so that's, that's my, that's my hopes at it and cover a lot of, a lot of different topics of tree care and, and disaster cleanup. And so uh, that's, that's where it's going. I've got um Coming up, uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, the storm sawing workshop, which we're going to have uh, in uh, in Kingston, Georgia, April the 2nd through the 4th. And that's a three-day program that covers felling, living, bucking, looking at some storm hazard things and all. So uh, we'll, be, we'll be putting that on. And uh, I've got a, it's classes uh, about a third full right now. And then I've got the uh, legacy workshops. And so, uh, Warren, I think you're going to be part of that. Chris was in last year. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, so that uh, uh, the deadline for the registration is on the 10th of January, and then we'll be starting on the, the 23rd and getting that that going with another group. And I think I've got about six uh, already signed up for that. And that's that's going through a, a little bit, kind of like discussion we had tonight, uh, looking at the particulars of of how do we how do we take and measure stuff and 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 get it across to people, and whether you, we have a, a you know a, a two page formula that we work with or or whether we have a rule of thumb that from our experience we gained. And and if you tie both of those together, now you've got now you've got something that that works. You know what I mean? That's that's really that's really where it works, and that's where uh, sharing people's experience can can make a big big difference. And so that's that's what legacy is all about. And we look at at what should go into a program for chainsaw operation, and we don't get into the. You know, we do a little bit of wedging maybe, but as far as other rigging's and things like that, we don't. This is strictly uh, chainsaw safety and productivity, and and uh, trying to get uh, operators out there, especially volunteers, and and uh, and employees, new employees, city, county, municipality workers, up to a certain level. And what do we do that? How do we do that? What knowledge do we need to, as a supervisor or an instructor, pass along to be able to uh, maximize our effects? And that's that's what legacy is all about, and uh, so that's that's the key there. Also, I've got uh, started up a uh, uh, in the studio here. I'm going to be putting together. I've got got one uh, uh, starting on uh, January the 16th, and that's that's going to be a two hour uh, chainsaw workshop, more or less going over uh, planning processes, PPE. Uh, uh, looking at some some uh, maintenance on the saw, sharpening, those kinds of things that I'll be doing here in the in the studio, and that's just my more or less what has been my day one um, presentation indoors in a classroom format that I've done live for years. I'm going to be doing that in the in the studio format over Zoom. And so I've got that that set up, and it, that's for new operators as well as experienced, but more or less uh, covering new operators. And it's going to be on that that Tuesday night, from seven p.m. to nine p.m. So a two-hour Zoom session, and I think uh, it can be a, an asset to a lot of folks. And so that's uh, that's available, uh, and that's a uh, twenty-five dollars for that. I'm going to try to get as many people on there as I can. It's kind of an introductory thing. It'll probably be going up after after we get going with them. Uh, but um, the first one's $25 per seat. And if you've got a larger group, uh, church or disaster group or uh, employees, if you'll let me know at info at fourstaffs.com, we, we'll, we'll try to work out something where you can uh, be able to either separate it where people, they can watch it on a handheld device or they can, they can watch it on... Uh, on a larger screen TV or as a group or, or however they want to do it. So that's, that's something to, uh, to do, but that'll be a, a live presentation on the, on the, that Tuesday night. So that's out there. And I've got some videos that are on that, on the, on the YouTube channel, if you want to see a little bit more about it. Can we pay for that on the, on your website, Tim? I've got some ministries I think might be interested in getting their guys involved in that. Yeah, uh, you can go on our on our Spotify account, which is is uh, 
It's listed off the website. Yeah. E-store. Yep. Also on the introduction video, I've got a QR code on there that that will lead to it. Okay. Yeah, I'll share that with some of the guys. I think they'd really uh, enjoy that and get, get some good stuff out of it. Yeah, you can pay for that and also the other two workshops, the Stormside workshop and the and the legacy on there. But those two are a little bit more expensive, but but uh good good sessions. Appreciate y'all dropping by tonight and uh, be doing another one I think next Thursday night. We had we had several on here watching on uh on Instagram. That's that's become uh I guess that's that's my my largest numbers. If you haven't uh, subscribed, please do so on uh, YouTube and and Facebook and follow on uh, on Instagram. And we're trying to grow the channels and and get as as many people out there watching and and everything. We get this panel system going. I think there's a lot of uh, of others out there with a lot of experience that can help us to be able to share a lot about uh, chainsaw safety and productivity. Trying to keep as as many out there safe as possible. And it's uh, more and more growth in the industries of tree care and arboriculture and uh, urban logging and and everything. So it's it's quite a lot of chainsaw operations still going on. And so we, we want to try to keep them everyone as safe as possible, keep it going. But I want to thank all y'all for dropping by. We'll do it again next Thursday night. And Warren, keep up all the good work there. And we hope to see you uh, next Thursday night, maybe too. And Chris, yes, sir. You're gonna be busy, but next. Hey, Thursday. I'll be I'll be here if you want me to be here. Yes, sir. I'll be here. All right. Well, we'll we'll try to get you guys going and add some more too. But I appreciate y'all, and uh, we will we will see you next Thursday. And I uh, wish everyone out there uh, good sawing. Talk to you later. <laughs>